Hello Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. Tonight my guest is Marty Gold, he's the editor-in-chief of the J.ca. And tonight we're discussing the Black Lives Matter protests that took place in Winnipeg and some of the more anti-Semitic things that happened over the past few weeks, including um, the anti-Semitic restaurant that my friend and colleague David Menzies paid a visit to in Toronto. It's called Food Benders, and you should really check out David's coverage of it. Anyway, if you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get access to my show as well as other great TV-style shows too, like Ezra's Nightly, Ezra Levant Show, David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe. And just for my podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus subscription by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnews.com slash subscribe to become a member. That's rebelnews.com slash subscribe. And then use the coupon code PODCAST to get a few bucks off. And now please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. There's a vehemently anti-Israel restaurant in Toronto, and Rebel News broke the story on it. Now it's gone international. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. regular viewer of Rebel News, I'm sure you know the story of food benders. That's the anti-Zionist, as they describe themselves, lunch counter catering company in Toronto. They hate cops, they hate pro-Israel people, and they don't seem to like my friend and colleague David Menzies so much. Now, David Menzies has been on the food benders story for over two weeks now. And now the story's gone international and politicians around Ontario and across the country are speaking out against them, except Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the guy who couldn't get out a tweet fast enough when he heard that a little girl in Toronto a couple years ago had her hijab snipped at by an Asian man on the way to school. Now that story was a hoax, but Justin Trudeau was quick to renounce the so-called Asian man before all the facts were in. But Trudeau's silent now as food benders refuses to serve Zionists, which account for some 97% of the Jewish population. So joining me tonight to talk about this issue and some of the other issues facing the Jewish community is Marty Gold. He's the editor-in-chief of the Jewish publication, TheJ.ca. Marty, thanks for coming on the show. I wanted to have you on because there's so much happening in the Jewish community in Canada, especially with um, food benders and the Day of Rage and a few other things that have definitely been on the radar of the J.ca. But first, I wanted to start closer to home because 
we don't always hear a lot about Winnipeg, but you're in Winnipeg and some things are happening in Winnipeg that seem to be happening all over. And that's the BLM protests. So why don't you fill us in with what's been happening in Winnipeg with regard to those BLM protests? Because it seems as though the coronavirus has sort of gone away, at least in Winnipeg. Um, uh, glad to be back. The um, COVID number of COVID-19 cases in Manitoba uh, leveled off at under 350 with only seven deaths. There's been, as we take this, no new uh, diagnosed cases in uh, almost a week. And so uh, accordingly, because the sense here is that the risk is relatively low, uh, this is, uh, uh, I think, a compliment to the Pallister government and the senior health officials who, although not everybody's crazy, we're in agreement with the methodology and uh, some of the messaging per se, uh, but it's obviously worked. Uh, and that can't be disputed that uh, we could have had far worse situations in terms of uh, communities where people live in very close quarters in northern Manitoba, for instance. Uh, and so um, with a reduced sense of risk and with a uh, number of people still taking various distancing and masking measures. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was reflected in this community by uh, a group organized by, uh, it seems to me it was five young ladies, uh, called Justice for Black Lives, J4BL. And they initially organized a march uh, at the Manitoba legislature that went from the Manitoba legislature to, I think it went to the Forks actually. Um, and it was attended by uh, what is believed to be about 15,000 people. It was definitely a sizable crowd. Uh, uh, city councillors, a couple of city councillors attended. Uh, it was uh, a bizarre, bizarre in that we don't really see Marxism and Maoism in action very often in these prairie parts. Uh, they, the organizers did not want white media attending. They asked media outlets to send uh not send white journalists or, or photographers to send uh, people wow. of color. Uh, I was amazed. I was amazed at the stupidity of people who thought that this was a reasonable idea because you're dealing in an era where newsrooms are cut to the bone in many cases. You don't have a lot of options. It's bordering on summertime. There's, you know, various pandemic things that have come up. Not every newsroom or every media outlet is going to be able to pick and choose the skin color of who they assigned to, to that kind of event. And for them to, uh, I mean, this just shows the level of indoctrination they as university age students have had to a particular way of thinking that is not just foreign to uh, the Canadian way of life, but is actually a rejection of the Canadian way of life. I don't know that any media outlets acquiesce to that request oh, specifically, but even leading into the event, they started taking shots at major media outlets for not reporting on them, their beliefs or their activities the way that they wanted to. So they already like, we're going to boycott the free press or CBC and whatever. One of the organizers actually said that she was fine with violence, but there wouldn't be any violence at her rally. This is something the media should have hopped on, but they're also scared of having, uh, uh, of having demonstrations in front of their media outlets that they didn't. Uh, it's incomprehensible that somebody could say, I'm fine with violence, uh, as again, as part of the Black Lives Movement, and this goes back now three weeks into what was going on in June, 
that somebody would say that they were fine with violence to accomplish those goals and then be given any credibility in the media at all. But that shows you uh, how um, emasculated, uh, so to speak, the Winnipeg media is. Uh, at the event itself, on the legislature grounds, uh, it opened up actually when they started to, uh, uh, using the whatever the public address system was. It opened up with a request for white, for essentially for white journalists to leave the grounds. Uh, this is on public property at the legislature. Not nobody from the government, the premier's office, cabinet, the human rights commission. Nobody spoke out against this that obscenity. Um, there was the uh, usual conflagration that we've come to expect from the the the, uh, the political left of various grievances and. Uh, and uh, lobby groups. Uh, Antifa was present. They intimidated one independent journalist into leaving the legislature grounds. Again, no action taken, whether it's by Winnipeg police, human rights officials, or anybody else. Uh, there was also an incident involving a uh, girl who is a friend of my family's, uh, who is um, a free-spirited type of person, doesn't... Con doesn't um, necessarily follow old style norms and so she was out dressed the way she was dressed with a sign that more or less said lesbians support black lives matter or something like that reflecting her own sexual preferences and she was uh harangued and verbally assaulted by a number of individuals about how disgusting she is here she is <laughs> as, as they call it in their lexicon an ally uh, and she was assailed by people who were uh, dressed in the manner of uh, people who um, are one of the, uh, how do I put this, one of the groups most aggrieved in present day cultures. Uh, that would be, they seem to be uh, Muslim or Islamist in nature. I'd say they're more so Islamist yeah. uh, because they were protesting, counter-protesting uh, her sexual preferences. And she was uh, made uncomfortable and left. And the mainstream media doesn't tell any of those stories. They make it sound like it was, uh, you know, a, a, a Woodstockian love fest, but leaving out the leaving out the bikers, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, the event itself, as I said, had fifteen thousand people, and it began to advance certain uh, messages, including defund the police. This was then interpreted by supporters, uh, uh, people. Uh, from the congregation, so to speak, that wanted to uh, show that they were, again, allies about uh, supporting this idea that Winnipeg police and the majority of the police funding goes to salaries and pensions and these things. But people started to chime in with, uh, with this idea that uh, police should be, uh, uh, you know, have their budgets cut. And now you've got these radicals chiming and going, you know, don't screw around with our message. When we, we say abolish, we mean abolish. We say defund, we mean no money. And as you and I have seen in the last couple of weeks, more and more people are recognizing these Marxists mean they want the world to be Marxist. They aren't really yeah, interested yeah. In, in, in discussing or negotiating social policy. These are actual serious demands. And the number of people in Winnipeg that believe in, you know, defund the police is small. The next weekend, the police had, uh, just a stupefying number of calls, 72 assaults, 14, going by memory, it was like 14 gun calls, 16 stabbings. And yet the Marxists are still saying, well, when the police put that out, they're just trying to scare you into thinking you need police. What good is there, are the cops if there's an assault? Well, they break up the assault if it's ongoing. Like, 
this notion that social workers are going to attend drinking parties in Winnipeg, uh, or, or as the police now put it, a group of people met to socialize, uh, <laughs> this is preposterous. Uh, but they, they live in some, uh, some other universe uh, in terms of the realities of what kind of inf- law enforcement and law and order is needed at street level. Now, subsequent to this, the, uh, I, I can't call them an organization. They, their fundraising was weird because it was going to like private email addresses. Originally, their fundraising was going through some platform, and then they said, no, don't put it through the platform. So it looked like a way to make money with no accountability off organizing a movement that may or may not be Black Lives Matter, but is certainly Black Lives Matter adjacent. Um, they got, as I said, almost unquestioning media coverage. CBC did a photo album, a CBC reporter, pictures of the march and of the, of the, the gathering. And the very last picture was of a person holding a sign of a, it was like a painting or a drawing, of a police officer, and the, the cop had a was portrayed as a pig, which again would be a human rights violation. CBC put that right in their album. Uh, as far as I know, it's still there. Again, that would be a, in breach of Manitoba Human Rights Code. So you see that there's now two kinds of rules and laws, some for the rest of us and some for the favored aggrieved parties. Um, they then went to organize flash mobs. Uh, flash demonstrations of one-hour duration at different locations around the city uh, subsequent to that to, to that march. Uh, and they appeared outside the police station, and they, they announced it ahead of time. And so the cops shut down at 1 o'clock, so there's no fingerprinting or whatever the people will go to the main cop shop to apply for. They went to the Manitoba legislature. Then they showed up at city council uh, on, a, on a Friday when council was meeting, and Councillor Schreier, the son of the former premier and former governor general, Ed Schreier, who, in the environment of the current council, is coming across like Stanley Knowles as being a wise and knowledgeable person. Uh, Jason Schreier was speaking uh, and interrupted himself and said, well, Madam Speaker, uh, you, as you can hear, like it's, there's an increasing noise level. The Speaker kind of panicked, and then Debbie Sharma called the five-minute recess that lasted 20 minutes, and it turns out that the protesters were outside City Hall. They came inside. There's a security desk. Uh, not heavily armed or anything that you have to sign into to be able to then go up the stairs of the mezzanine and then enter the gallery to watch the proceedings. And uh, what happened was it doesn't appear uh, one counselor was unaware if they had signed in or not. I don't believe they could have because there's 75 or 80 of them. Uh, But they appeared in the mezzanine, which is separated by the council chamber, not not by a brick wall, but by glass. So they can be seen around the stairwells and around the staircases, the railings, chanting. Uh, And you can be assured that there is no group of taxpayers, no demographic group in Winnipeg uh, that I can think of that could have gotten away with interrupting a city council meeting. Now, Mayor Bowman, uh, who has never met a a movement that he wouldn't try to co-opt for his own political purposes, (laughs) instead of going outside and saying, listen, you guys, you got a lot of serious concerns about policing and uh, city services. We've got to do the people's business. Uh, we're dealing with pandemic, rev- lack of revenue due to pandemic. We've got to get this agenda done. This takes care of the dispossessed, the poor seniors that you claim you're caring about. I will meet with you here in the courtyard next Tuesday at noon. 
bring your stuff and I will meet with you. But let let us do this business now, please. Now, um, the movement itself is detached from Black, Black Lives Matter. It's called something different. They don't, on the surface, receive any funding from the movement itself, but they receive a lot of support from people who think it is the movement. Right. And people want to jump on this because the premise, the phrase sounds great, but when you look at the reality of the roots of it, the the, the organizers from 20, whatever, 14, 15, 16, and the kinds of comments they made about race, the comments they made about Jews, uh, this is why the Women's March had to drop three founders like last year, two years ago now, I guess it was 2019. Well, um, in Winnipeg, as it came to the Jewish angle, the Jewish Federation supported this and encouraged the Jewish community to participate. Now, this was on a Friday, uh, so it's before the Sabbath. The Sabbath begins at sundown. Sundown is around 9.30 p.m. Now, keep in mind that last year, when the J.ca launched, what was the precipitating incident for launching the newspaper? Was Linda Sarsour's appearance in Winnipeg. Now, Linda Sarsour is an unabashed anti-Semite, indisputably a Jew hater. A, a provocateur uses inflammatory language, a historical revis revisionist. The Jewish Federation did not notify the community about the rally that was organized uh, that was organized, in fact, by our publisher, Ron East. Uh, it did not, uh, they did not send an emissary. And among the excuses were, oh, but it's Friday evening at 6.30 and Shabbos starts at like 8 o'clock or whatever. But this year, for a rally involving people, support, at the very least supporting a movement that is unabashedly anti-Semitic, the Jewish Federation encouraged people to go, and they themselves attended the march. So they won't go to Jewish counter-protests opposing anti-Semites, but um, a protest march that promotes the agenda, promotes the ideology of anti-Semites like Black Lives Matter that they're fine with. Uh, we saw this reflected in a tweet by the Black Lives Matter UK that talked about mainstream British politics as gagged of the right to critique Zionism and Israel's settler colonial pursuits. We loudly and clearly stand beside our Palestinian comrades. So there you see prima facie evidence of Black Lives Matter, seeing them as merging with these aboriginal causes in North America. This creates greater discord, greater momentum to undermine the societal structures and societal norms because uh, when they say Israel's settler colonial pursuits, they're defining Israel as a white supremacist project. But again, in Winnipeg, I, I do say that there has not been, in terms of the public displays, nothing that caused any alarm for Jews or for Israelis. That I can say. However, when the days of day of rages, day of rage events started across North America and in this country as uh, protests against the state of Israel applying sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, otherwise known as annexation of occupied territories. Uh, and we see it historically different because these are traditional, these are the Jewish homelands. Uh, the, Judea had uh, the capital of Israel. So this isn't uh, us like wandering into the, you know, wandering into the Sinai desert just to snatch up, you know, tracts of land that uh, had nothing to do with, with 
our history, our culture, and our self-governance. Now the protests start across the country and it started in Vancouver with a boat. I think it was about 100 people in Vancouver. They lined a city block around Clark and East Broadway. And the lead sign was Canada is guilty in Palestinian genocide in Nakba. Hang on for a second. Um, this is the genocide where there are more Palestinians now than ever before. So, uh, I mean, I mean yeah. it's generally not how a genocide works out. And these people are protesting. These are people who, by and large, have no ties to Israel or the Palestinian-controlled territories. These you are... Maybe in Vancouver, maybe half, but then you're dealing with university students, old-time Jew-hating leftists. Right. You know, but not a lot of them have any relationship, direct relationship to the Palestinian uh, administration. And these are people who are protesting uh, uh, an American, so a Trump-proposed peace plan Yes. Um, in Israel uh, that the Palestinian leadership immediately rejected because for the Palestinian leadership, any Jews left in the land between, I guess, the river and the sea, that's unacceptable here. Correct. But but not rejected by the Palestinian communities that might be sub that would welcome in many cases Israeli administrative legislative law as opposed to uh, Israeli military uh, military rule to have it converted to a more normal kind of administration and they'd rather live on in israel where among other things gays aren't pitched off the top of a building than live under palestine under the palestinian authority and under the thumb of terror of terrorist groups and well you know, and and the opportunity for regular elections election every six months exactly yeah exactly and i mean to be clear i've seen what they call settlements. Settlements is a strange way uh, to describe a neighborhood. That's really what these are. These are Jewish neighborhoods, by and large Jewish neighborhoods. They don't say that you can't live there unless you're Jewish. I mean, there's yeah. Christian Arabs there. I mean, this is these are just neighborhoods. They're denormalized, I think, by the United Nations by calling them settlements, which indicates something other than what they are. But this is the United Nations and the rest of the world saying that Jews cannot build homes in certain places, well, the first which sounds thing is, like anti-Semitism to the me. The first thing is that anytime somebody pulls out this idea that this is uh, violates the UN law and uh, blah, 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 and they start talking about borders, these were never borders. This was a right. cease. This was an end of hostilities in a war. Borders were never established. Number two, many of these communities, half a million Jews, not all of them are so are still you know, settlers. Some of these communities where there where there's a half million Jews, this is where Jews have always lived, uh, or, uh, in some respects, or lands that were traditionally Jewish, where Arab descendants never lived. So, so. When people start by talking about, uh, you know, the law has been broken, point out the law and how this area actually fits the definitions of that law. Not quite so simple. Um, so beyond genocide, that what you just talked uh, talked about in reference to this lead sign in Vancouver, the other part is Nakba, which is the notion that land was stolen, taken from from Arab interests from Palestinians except for the ones that fled under instruction of the Arab governments who intended to wipe out every Jew. People forget 6,000 Jews were, were killed at the beginning of the, uh, of 
1948 war, that was 1% of the population. Figure out what would happen to any country where 1% is killed in a war. Uh, this discounts the land that Jews bought, Zionists bought, especially in the 1930s under the British mandate, with way overpaying per acre compared to what a land costs in, say, New York State. Um, uh, how do you how do you say that land was stolen when it was paid for at above market rates? Right. Um, among the signs, so you'll have this these signs about genocide in Nakba beside a sign in the where people are caring about no to annexation, which goes back to the political argument. And then in Vancouver, there was a sign: "Palestine will be free." Held uh, banner uh, carried by Students for Justice in Palestine (SJP). And when you look at the picture that we published on the J.ca. One of the girls is wearing a white t-shirt with a, an insignia on it. There's two shots of her. And you, re, you when you look at it, you come to recognize that the, that the t-shirt is the logo of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. That is a banned terrorist group in this country. Uh, meanwhile, one of the event sponsors was Sami Dun, which is an organization that uh, uh, references Palestinian prisoner. It's the Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network. So you're looking at prisoners who are part of a terrorist group. I'm sure that the majority are not in, in Israeli jails if they are in jails for jaywalking. Uh, it's terror-related activities they're being jailed for. Yeah. Not, uh, not This isn't the maintenance enforcement branch because they haven't been paying for the kids or something. And here's Charlotte Cates, who's the uh, international coordinator of Samidun, holding a sign saying, no to annexation, no to Zionism. So you've got an affiliate of a banned terrorist group participating in this rally saying no to Zionism when we know that Zionism is the belief in a the right to historic homeland that is held by 97% of Jews. But she would argue that somehow she's not an anti-Semite. This brings us, it might be out by a day, this brings us to July the 4th, to the next bout of Day of Rage protests. And our headline was, Day of Rage replaces Al-Quds Day as premier anti-Israel Jew hate fest in Toronto. Because the pandemic, there was no Al-Quds Day this year, uh, which again is uh, like Nakba Day, only like Nakba Day is a warm-up. Uh, and uh, one of the main signs um, that, we, that caught our eye at this uh, protest in Toronto said anti-Semitism anti is a crime. Anti-Zionism is a duty-free Palestine. <sighs> well, again... Trying to play this game that you don't hate Jews, but Zionism is colonialism when it's the Jewish homeland and free Palestine from the Jews. I don't even if I, I read this week that the term Palestinian doesn't even appear in literature till like the 1890s. And the word the word itself had no basis in the cultures, the Arab cultures that resided in the in the Middle East. So that doesn't stop the modern-day activists. Uh, the rally in Toronto uh, was organized by the Palestinian Youth Movement, and in their call to action on uh, Facebook, they will not stop, they say. We will not stop until all of Palestine is free in every corner of our land. We will not yield until we have reclaimed our land. Like, none of it is Jewish. None of it was bought by Jews. None of it is owned by Jews. Redeemed our martyrs. Now, how do you redeem a martyr? Freed all our prisoners and all refugees return. 
Now, what Free happens? Prisoners. Yes. Now, what happens when the Jews say, "Okay, we want the right of return to Iraq, Iran, Yemen, yep. Egypt, Morocco, all these countries where Jews were expelled, where Jews were beaten, Jews were raped, Jews were were tortured, Jews were subject to pogrom after pogrom." Adapted from the European style of pogroms, might I add. The theft of wealth from Jews forced from 800,000, the 800,000 Jews forced from Arab countries was an astonishingly high number of billions of dollars. Now, Jews don't claim any right of return. The right of return, according to the United Nations, is accorded to first to, to the first generation of displaced people. It isn't passed down. If you if you aren't connected to the land. You don't have the, a right of return. Only for the Palestinians. Yeah. Only for them has this concept been envisioned. Why? Because that would serve to swamp the land of Israel and completely tip the scales on any legislation, any, any government process would then be completely taken out of the hands of the most oppressed minority in the region for centuries. The Jews, not to diminish the suffering of Kurds, Yazidis, or anybody else who've been subject to the same Islamomanicism uh, for centuries and centuries. Now, in Toronto on the 4th, we again saw the merger of these, the conflagration of these causes, where you had First Nation, Aboriginal speakers, people representing First Nations organizations, uh, talking about the settler colonial policies of Canada and Israel, except Israel was settled by people with a historic claim to the land. Canada was settled by the British and the French. So how is this the same? Well, when you're Marxist and you just want to overthrow government, you just lump in everybody as all being the same kind of bad guy. There was signage where on the one hand you've got a black, you know, a black guy. He's wearing a, uh, wearing a mask in this uh, picture I'm looking at. Defund the RCMP and police now. And beside him is some dame holding up a sign saying defund the IDF. Defund the IDF? What are you talking about? And among those that jumped on the bandwagon was food vendors uh, in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and they referenced a recent incident where a Palestinian fellow came up to a checkpoint, veered left, button-hooked right, rammed the security gate. Uh, not a gate, I mean, it's a, a kiosk. Rammed it, came out of the car, and before he could stab anybody, he was shot dead. Because there's like four or five Israeli guards at the checkpoint. Oh, this is how how uh, how uh, uh, securitized is the word they've invented. Palestinians are so securitized as a threat. We can't make human mistakes like lose momentary control of our car, press the accelerator in a moment of haste, get in a car accident. He's coming up to a checkpoint. What are you hitting yeah, the accelerator yeah. for? What are you I turning think, the car? Before those checkpoints, they also have speed bumps. Well, before yeah. you get to them. You can't just race up. This wasn't something in the desert that's, you know, yeah. or in the outskirts it's set up. It's a standard operating procedure. Well, uh, someone posts that, uh, and claiming that this person, this victim was a cousin of theirs, same family name, turned out they weren't a cousin. And Food Benders goes and says, well, this is a George Floyd moment. Refuse to live in a Canada that continues to support Israeli brutality and war crimes against the Palestinians. Boycott Israel. Join the Toronto BDS network. So food vendors, the, the proprietor, Kim Hawkins, using mostly Instagram but other social media, 
yeah. ramped up from the Black Lives Matter issues and kept conflating. And this goes back to the Israeli Defense Force somehow trains police in the in, in America into, you know, brutalizing, uh, brutalizing uh, uh, righteous protesters or innocent people. Sue Ann Levy, who's uh, been writing for the J.ca and is fantastic, giving us exclusive contact the content as part of her columns for the Toronto Sun. She went to the restaurant twice, went once, checked it out, came back the next day and tried to engage the owner about uh, that. She had made a public statement uh, on her Instagram that the Zionists were not welcome in her in a restaurant, it's restaurant, lunch, counter, catering place. She and shooing Suan out, and then there's a few goons that attended as well. She said out loud, out of her mouth, Israelis kill thousands of children every day. Now, I have not seen any media, not even in the Arab world, not even in the Islamist world, not even the house organs of, uh, of uh, uh, Iran, or uh, any uh, other despotic regime, nobody has claimed Israel kills thousands of children a day. But the owner of Food Benders told Suan Levy that she didn't know what she was talking about. So, you know, you look at this signage that she had put out on her sandwich board uh, and the things that she'd said, Jewish people are greedy and entitled. Israel are terrorists. And as our publisher, Ron East, he created a, 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 a um, you know, like a, a, a clapboard in effect, uh, for the Canadian, uh, for the Israeli Canadian Council. If you can't say indigenous people are greedy and entitled and blacks are terrorists, then why can you say Zionists are racist, Zionists are Nazis, and other things? You clearly can't, but nobody stands up against this. Never mind what human rights codes say, the doing business by, well, I guess the business license, says that you can't discriminate against people on certain grounds. So presumably, if you walk in, you know, plastered out of your skull and pose a danger, then they can reasonably still keep you off the premises. But if somebody's, uh, for I was going to say Indian, but literally in, in Toronto would count Indian, Fijian, black, brown of any sort, sub-Saharan, Chinese, Malaysian, if you're identifiably something, you can't be reserved service on that. Arab, you can't be refused service on that basis. And here's a business that was openly advertising that that was the basis of her business. So John Tory and the and the council in Toronto, some of whom I know are uh, far left, which is a polite way of saying communist. Paula Fletcher, Winnipeg's gift to Toronto. Uh, I don't know how they're going to reconcile this, and and I don't think society has a goal. The most important goal for society, rather, I don't think should be convincing, convincing society. We've got a wholesale change, everything. We start with what we can fix first, which is at the societal level, okay? At the, multi, at the level where multiculturalism functions on a day-to-day -day basis, which is race relations. Yeah. And I think if the politicians take the bull by the horns, stand up like leaders and start calling race relations meetings, race relations conferences, and focus on ratcheting down those tensions and resolving those misunderstandings and figuring out what role government has played. Yeah. Then we have a lot better chance of success. 
a lot better chance of maintaining our civil society than what we see now. From your lips to God's ears. Um, <laughs> Marty, I want to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can find the work that you do at the J.ca and how they can, more importantly, I think, support you to keep it going um, because um, you're filling a huge void um, in Canadian journalism in general, but also for the Jewish community. Uh, we're, we're thrilled that our articles have been picked up by uh, uh, the Jewish News Syndicate and by Israeli publications. Uh, one was written by Aviva Engel from Montreal. Boy, is she fantastic. She wrote a story about a Hasidic bakery. And not just about the bakery, because I love them. You didn't get this size by not loving bakeries. <laughs> and not just about the, 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 the babka, but about the role they play in the community in creating goodwill and harmony among the different communities. Because the uh, uh, Hasidim are, you know, like they, they, they do keep to themselves uh, they're very insular community, but in in their public pursuits like the bakery, this article was fantastic. I I, I I didn't see it till literally till we published it. I was knocked out of my chair how great it was, and and that's an example of the kind of story that is picked up on not just the political stuff or the breaking news stuff that we do. Uh, although again, no other publication, no other media platform in the country covered Day of Rage at all in a comprehensive manner. Uh, going over which cities it was in and what was said where. Uh, we have a great crew of writers. Dan Brotman has just written a story about Peruvian Jews during the pandemic, which corrected erroneous news stories about the Jews of Peru that had recently been circulated. Um, uh, I referenced my piece about the history of Jews in Canada. Um, we have uh, uh, Rebe Roberta, Rebecca Eckler puts out great columns uh, called Kvetch versus Kvel, which is <laughs> life, yeah, a slice of life stuff. Um, uh, Egal Hecht is a regular contributor. His latest one was about a Haredi influencer on social media. So we're looking at Jews, the influence of Jews, the role of Jews across the spectrum of activities and 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 uh, businesses and in society. Uh, did you know Robbie Robertson was uh, had uh, Jewish ancestors? I didn't. No. It's a great story that uh, Ira Haberman contributed. Dave Gordon's our managing editor of Toronto. He's done a fantastic job putting together the writers. And in, in he and uh, Tevi Peltz, is, uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they're the ones collating the material and doing the majority of the, of the editing. And as I said, myself and Ron handle more so the breaking news and the, the political stuff. Um, and we've got, uh, and, and uh, uh, before I forget, again, Sue Ann Levy has just been knocking okay. out of the park with what she's been giving us. Doron Berger's contributed tremendously. Daniel Korn wrote a story about uh, Israel advocacy on campuses and the challenges they face. So we got something for everybody. We cover the spectrum of Jewish life, not only Canada, in Canada, but internationally. Um, uh, I'm proud to be, uh, you know, at the top of the masthead of this with Ron East. This is, in a lot of ways, the culmination of his father's dream, of Yarmam Mizrahi's dream of, of making sure the Jewish voice is heard in this country and that it's heard loud and clear, and that we are able to provide a, uh, a, a safe harbor, as it were, for the Jewish community, that they know that if they have a story to tell, somebody will tell it. We are not a right wing. We are pro-Israel. We are pro-IDF. Uh, we, we, we will not run stories bashing religious communities because they are you know, religious and old-fashioned or something. We respect our roots. 
but we have run stories talking about how Jews should support Black Lives Matter movement, even though editorially we may not agree with that perspective specifically or precisely. We have run pieces about the Jewish role in that aspect of race relations and supporting the goals of ensuring that blacks are treated fairly in institutions uh, and uh, and in uh, you know in in terms of processes, and so we've run that too. It's not all one sided. Uh, we've got. I, I mean, I don't count, but I'm told that we've got a number of uh, of non heterosexual writers and columnists. And like, look, I don't care. I care about Who good. Cares? Copy. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I want good copy. I want stuff that's readable. I want stuff that's relevant. I want stuff that's topical. I want stuff that's timely. I love the science pieces, the history pieces. Yeah. If you go to the j.ca uh, on our website, you can uh, click in the appropriate categories. You can contribute. You can contact us. Uh, there's support us. Uh, there's uh, Defenders of Israel gear. Um, you can subscribe. Please subscribe to the newsletter. We're up to over 12. We're over 1,200 uh, as of now which is phenomenal growth. And, and that way uh, you get the news bulletins we put out in between the, the editions, which is every Wednesday and Sunday. We put out news bulletins in between. Sometimes our, when we put the editions out, that comes in the form of a, of, of a bulletin where we'll have a different breaking news lead story that then leads into the rest of the newspaper. Uh, so please subscribe. You can uh, click on the links on the j.ca to support us. We appreciate the donations that we've gotten so far. It's helped us take care of uh, some of the uh, costs that have come up for some of the uh, editors and writers, some equipment costs. Uh, we're on the verge of being able to roll out the advertising uh, platforms for banner ads and stuff as we get closer. We're already looking towards Rosh Hashanah and the, and the, the high holidays. And, and your support now is going to get us to that stage. I'm really hopeful that by September, uh, this will be a going concern, that the staff will be in a position to make sure the staff is is taken care of, that the contributors are taken care of, and that we can continue to not only tell our stories, but to advocate for the Jewish communities in Canada, not just Toronto, not just Montreal, but the Jews of Halifax, St. John's, Victoria, Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, Saskatoon. We are here for all of you and for all those of you who support a Jewish homeland, who support the state of Israel, who support our Judeo-Christian uh, way of life, our traditions and our ethics. We are here for you. We will tell your stories. Letters the editor, Marty at the J.ca. And uh, always glad to hear from you. And Sheila, once again, thank you for, uh, as Gene Kaniski would say, having me into your homes via <laughs> TV and for being so supportive of our efforts um, since our inception a year ago. And uh, your audience communicates with us as well. We get followers from the Rebel and uh, and some donations from people that I know also donate to your, your, uh, uh, your uh, efforts as well. And, uh, and uh, one last thing I forgot to mention, a shout out to David Menzies, who walks into the belly of the beast, who gets the footage. Uh, uh, what he and Ezra have done is incomparable in terms of journalism in this country, no matter what anybody says. When you put on, when you strap on your boots and you walk into, the, into what is really hostile territory to tell those stories, to show what's going on, to make sure people know what's being said whether it's in the Nathan Phillips Square or whatever, was that the courtyard in front of City yeah. Hall? Wherever it was, David Menzies is a very brave guy who could be doing a lot of different things at his age. I'm sure he could uh, be hanging out at the beaches or something. And instead, he's putting in the work to make sure that the reporting is done at ground level that we try to do, not in Toronto, 
But uh, I again, David has been a good friend to to us, along with the with the, the rest of uh, the rest of the correspondents at, at the Rebel. But to what David's put up with, uh, that guy's he's got a big heart and a lot of guts. He's a saint. When he's dealing with those people, he is not malicious. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. And uh, as I said to you earlier, uh, Ezra refers to him as like Columbo. When he just sort of, you you underestimate him until he gets to the right question and gets the answer that uh, he knew was there. That's how David Menzies operates. And, you know, it's hard to watch him being mistreated. um, But what he's doing is valuable. Very uncomfortable. Yeah, what he's doing is valuable work that nobody else is willing to do. And shame on the mainstream media that does not report on on these kinds of incidents that ignore it until, God forbid, one of them gets spit on or jostled or or some epithet is yelled while they're doing a a live hit. And then it's, uh, you know, like Federal Court of Canada issue. (laughs) But, right? But all journalists should be safe from harassment they should be safe from abuse whether cbc or ctv or uh or or or, uh uh, global or any of these outlets whether they agree with the style of reporting or the kinds of stories are being followed and that they don't speak up uh, there should be solidarity if anything there should be solidarity among journalists and instead you've got parliamentary press galleries and then they look down their nose at people who do reporting that doesn't follow their narrative and you know what? Uh, one day, one day too soon, they're going to need the support of everybody. And already we see how, how Canadian society is becoming increasingly skeptical, increasingly yep. questioning, increasingly untrusting of the agenda in some of those newsrooms. And they should seriously think of what's been experienced by Menzies and other other people in the course of the last couple of years in trying to cover the radicalized elements of Canadian politics, Canadian uh, protest movements, and they should be carefully considering um, why they are silent and why they should not stay silent in the face of people being mistreated in that manner. Well, I don't think we ever have to worry about you being silent, Marty. Uh, Marty, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Again, thank you again for your generosity with your time always, but especially today. We did have some technical difficulties earlier. We'll have you back on again real soon and best of luck with the J.ca. Thank you so much and the best to you and to everybody at at the outlet and uh, to all of you viewers. Keep supporting the alternatives because without the alternatives, you know what you're stuck with. Amen. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.